Amen. And if you would, please remain standing and turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Once again, Genesis 41. And we'll read the closing verses of the chapter, beginning in verse 41. So this, of course, is after... uh, Pharaoh has had those uh, dreams, and Joseph was called and interpreted them. And Pharaoh was so impressed that uh, he appoints Joseph to be his right-hand man. And we'll begin reading in verse 41. Hear God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 32 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Pharaoh went out, excuse me, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. 
for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, in an instant, everything had changed for Joseph. He'd been in that pit for quite some time. And then he was called before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. No one else was able to do it. But God made known the meaning of those dreams to Pharaoh through Joseph. And uh, after that success, maybe Joseph was just hoping that Pharaoh would have mercy on him and, and not send him back to prison. But what actually happened was so much greater. It was a shocking turn of events. Joseph was elevated from a prisoner to a prince. On a human level, Joseph uh, showed great wisdom uh, when he told Pharaoh how to prepare for that coming famine. Pharaoh was very impressed. Pharaoh and all his officials uh, were stunned by what they heard from Joseph. They were so impressed that they were sure that he was the right man for the job to lead uh, this effort to uh, gather food in preparation for that famine. But this really wasn't even about Joseph's wisdom. This was about the Lord. This was about God and his providence lifting Joseph up. Only God could have done this. And so according to God's plan, God's providence, Pharaoh made Joseph his right-hand man. And he said, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And he does these things uh, to exalt Joseph. He took his signet ring and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in these fine garments, put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in the second chariot. And he made all the people bow down to Joseph. He also said, without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all Egypt. On all these honors that were heaped on Joseph, they were signs of his new, highly exalted position. And these were things that were really done. These things were done uh, in Egypt to the man who was the second in command. Moses carefully records this here, and, and uh, historical documentation also supports it, that these were the kinds of things that were done uh, in Egypt uh, to the man who was uh, second in command. And I mention that just as a, an example of how uh, secular history and archaeology is not at odds with what the Bible teaches. It's actually in perfect harmony with it. These kinds of uh, uh, documents and uh, historical uh, 
uh, finds uh, support, the accuracy, and show us that the Bible is accurate and historically reliable. It's beautiful, the harmony between the two. And this, of course, is the case, and we can have confidence uh, in this because God's Word is His inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. We can have absolute confidence in it and what it teaches. So Joseph's exalted to this high position. These people, all the people had to even bow down and pay homage to him when he passed by. And this too isn't just about Joseph. Joseph is a a, a type of Christ in many ways. And we see in here a, a foreshadowing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us that we must pay homage to him, to God's Son. Psalm 2 says, kiss the Son lest he become angry. In Psalm 72, we see another picture of the royal Son. Verses 9 and 11 say, may desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. That's a picture of our Savior and his exaltedness, his reign over all. The exaltation of Joseph points forward and looks forward to the exaltation of Jesus. And we who love him should long for that day when his Glory will be openly and fully known and seen, and every knee will bow before him. And they certainly. I think about Joseph and how he must have felt as these things started to happen to him. Uh, one minute he's in that rotten, dank dungeon, he calls it over and over again a pit. He must have been in absolute awe of God as these things started to happen, this great turnaround. He knew this was all God's doing. He must have fallen down and praised God, maybe right in front of those people. All those years of slavery, all those years of imprisonment, and all during those years he was trusting God and he was waiting on God for deliverance. And now that deliverance has come. That's something we should take to heart. We need to remember that our God is always working for our good. Even when we're in uh, our own pits, uh, as it were, times of suffering, times of waiting for the Lord to answer prayer, He's working for our good during those times. Of course, he works on his own timetable. And we see here how perfect his timing is. We see the wisdom of God's timing here. It's always right and perfect. Maybe not what we would choose for our own comfort and our um, ease, but his timing is perfect 
for his glory uh, and for his good purposes and for our good. And when we believe that, uh, we see how right it is for us to trust him as we're waiting in those hard times, as we're seeking to be patient, as we wait for unanswered prayer. Many years Joseph waited, but now he was seeing the result. He was seeing God's timing was impeccable, perfect. God's plan was unfolding just perfectly. We need to trust that that's the case in our lives as well when we go through trials and tribulations. Well, Joseph had been bearing witness to the true God before Pharaoh uh, in that conversation that he had earlier in the chapter. And and all these things made an impression on Pharaoh. But it didn't convert Pharaoh, uh, or, or so it seems at least. Pharaoh tried to Egyptianize Joseph in a couple ways. We see that here. He gives Joseph an Egyptian name. And he gave him an Egyptian wife as well. Even though his name was now an Egyptian name, its meaning uh, was beautiful, and it pointed to Joseph's God. The name means God speaks and lives that's certainly a, uh, a perfect way to describe the true God, Joseph's God. The Lord is a living God, and he does speak, unlike the, the mute idols uh, of the Egyptians and all the other false gods of the world. But Joseph's new wife, uh, she is, uh, had to have been a challenge She's the daughter of one of the high priests of Ra, the sun god. So Joseph uh, is this new family, which must have been a well-to-do family, must have been a very uh, connected family, and now he's got those connections uh, because of his wife, but she's a sun worshiper. And so Joseph must have had his work cut out for him to teach his new wife and their children to forsake those false gods and to worship the Lord alone. That would have been a very tall order in that uh, society. Now stop and think about the spiritual danger that Joseph was in at this point. He's immersed in Egyptian culture and society. He's given this pagan wife. In that culture, everything was built around the worship of those false gods. But on top of that, Joseph was now exalted to the pinnacle of power in that kingdom. He's got riches He's got fame. Everyone knows him. He's got power, more power than anyone other than Pharaoh. No doubt he lived in the lap of luxury. That kind of prosperity 
can often be bad spiritually. That kind of worldly prosperity can lead people astray. It can lead people away from the true God. We see that over and over with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. When things were good, when life was good and they were prosperous, they drifted from the Lord. And then the Lord would bring trials into their lives and enemies to oppress them, and they would uh, turn back to the Lord through those times of suffering. Suffering has, has the opposite effect of prosperity. Uh, think of Joseph during all those prior years of suffering. Those times must have drawn him closer to the Lord. But those times are over here. Now, there, there's no suffering at this point, uh, at least not in terms of uh, material things. Everything in his new life was tempting him to turn away from the Lord, to live in, in pride, to live in independence, to feel self-sufficient even without the Lord. And with all those people now serving him, uh, even bowing down to him, he might have been tempted to become uh, oppressive, to treat his subject people poorly. Power tends to do that to people who have it. And so Joseph was in a, a dangerous spot spiritually with, with much temptation. But by God's grace, we see that he responded well in this dangerous time, these dangerous circumstances. He didn't let his power go to his head. He shows godly character. We see his faith and obedience. And we see that in the way that he believed and obeyed the word of God. And by that, I mean the word from God that he had received from the Lord about Pharaoh's dreams. God had revealed the reality of what was coming. During those seven years of prosperity, it would have been very tempting uh, to do what most people do during times of prosperity, to just think it's, everything's good, it's always going to be good. It would have been very tempting to use all that stored up wealth for other things, or, or to not even bother storing up that wealth, uh, all that um, food that they were so blessed with. It probably looked like the prosperity would never end. People tend to think that way when things are good. But Joseph continued to believe God. He believed what God had said about that coming famine. Egypt had seven years to get ready, seven years of prosperity. Joseph believed what God said. And so by faith, he obeyed and enacted this massive uh, project of storing up grain so that Egypt would have food during the time of famine. This was all by faith he foresaw that that famine was coming because God said so. And we're told he gathered up the food 
during those seven years. He put food in every city from the fields around it. He stored up grain in abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it because it couldn't be measured. Now that's a beautiful picture of a man who is active in obedience. This is is not a a guy who was relaxed and uh, just enjoying his prosperity during those um, blessed times. Now he is busy. He is on it. He is getting after it and working hard to prepare for what's coming. I mean, he must have started huge building projects to construct new storage facilities to store all that grain. This was a huge undertaking. And Joseph's work ethic was very impressive, especially considering all the prosperity they were enjoying, so much prosperity. But it's not really just Joseph's great work ethic that we're seeing here. He had that work ethic, and he worked hard because he believed God. He knew he had to obey. He's responding to God's word with faith and obedience. Of course, that's exactly how you and I need to respond to God's word. We need to listen to God's word and do what it says. That's what should characterize our lives, those two things, believing and obeying God and his word. Well, during those very good, prosperous years, Joseph's family prospered too, we're told. He and his wife had two sons, and uh, we see more of his godly character here as he chose names for them. He didn't give them Egyptian names. He gives them good countercultural Hebrew names. He named the first Manasseh. He said, it is because God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The birth of Joseph's son helped him to forget the pain, the considerable pain. Think of all the grief and pain this young man must have went through to be ripped away from his home and his father and to become a slave and then a prisoner for all those years. The Lord comforted him. The name also tells us that he remembered the goodness of the Lord who had so richly blessed him. And then son number two came, and he named him Ephraim. And he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This name is also a testimony to God's goodness and blessing Joseph uh, in his life there in Egypt, in his work and otherwise. Ephraim means doubly fruitful. God had blessed Joseph greatly, and he recognized that. He had eased his sufferings by giving him a family and a fruitful life, and Joseph recognized that. He was very thankful. 
think we should take this example and follow it in our lives. We should take time, each of us, to think and recall the Lord's goodness to us in our own lives. Take time to think about your own life and give thanks to the Lord for his many blessings to you. It's right and fitting to do that, and it will do wonders for your heart and for your thought life and for your prayer life. Then look at verses 53 to 57. Here we see the famine finally hit. And here we see Joseph's uh, success, if you will. Uh, And it's as a result of his obedience. Now, in God's providence, God is setting the stage for this family reunion that is uh, coming up for Joseph uh, and his family. His old dreams of his family coming before him and bowing down to him those dreams are going to come true very soon. He may not have been thinking about that yet. He may not have even uh, considered it at this point. He's too busy just knowing that he had to obey the Lord and uh, prepare for this famine. But because he was busy in that way, because he was committed to obeying God, he had great success. The seven years of famine were absolutely devastating for Egypt, not only Egypt, but the surrounding lands as well. Uh, But we're told that in Egypt there was bread, there was food. And the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and he said, go to Joseph, and what he says to you, do. And Joseph opened the storehouses, and he sold the grain to the Egyptians. And we're told, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Think about this. This is a massive, massive famine. God turned the whole world, at least the whole world of the ancient Near East, upside down with this famine. Famine and widespread starvation for seven years. Why did he do that? Well, he did it ultimately to bring about his plan of redemption. Through this famine, he is bringing Joseph's whole family down to Egypt, and he's going to take care of them there. It's going to be like a little safe incubator for them. And he's going to keep them there for 400 years and multiply them into a great nation. And they're going to suffer there as well. They're going to suffer as slaves for a long time. But God will deliver them. And he will bring them out just as he promised and bring them into the promised land. So God is keeping his promises through all this, his redemptive promise. So don't miss that redemptive focus here in all this. And that is the focus, not just of this story, 
and of all the things that God was doing on a worldwide scale back then, that's the focus of all human history, God's plan of redemption. The church is the focus of all human history. All world history is really just a backdrop for God's plan to redeem his people, his chosen people. And ultimately, this would all lead uh, all these things that have uh, taken place with this famine and the people coming down, Joseph's family coming down, it's all going to lead to a far greater Savior coming into the world, one far greater than Joseph. Joseph is a picture of that far greater Savior, God's own Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see how God was ruling and controlling everything here in this story, everything on a worldwide scale to bring about his redemptive purposes. And he's still doing that. He's still causing everything in the world to work together for the good of his people, the church. The church is the glorious body of Christ. And you and I are part of that now as believers in Christ. His Spirit has drawn us in to this great and glorious body when He united us to His Son. The moment you trust in the Savior, that is true of you. It's a glorious thing to belong to the body of Christ, the church. It is to be uh, drawn in to God's ultimate purpose for all things. Let's keep that perspective. That vision of redemption, that vision of the church. But more importantly, keep that vision of God that we find here in this chapter. He is a great God, a glorious God, a sovereign, awesome God who rules over all things. And remember also that he gives success to his son. You look around at our world, and you see all the depravity and brokenness, rejection of the truth, rejection of the gospel, It's very tempting to think that God's word has failed. It's tempting to think that the gospel is a failure. But that is not true. God has given absolute success to his son to redeem all his people. And in due time, they will all come to faith in him. They will come by faith to Jesus Christ for the true food that only he can give. So I want to leave you with one last exhortation today. Pharaoh's exhortation to the people. He said to them, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you.
Do what he tells you. In the very same way, God commands us to go to Jesus. Go to Jesus Christ by faith. And then to do what he tells us to. We must come to him and him alone by faith. Trusting him to save us from our sins. And then he will grant us that salvation and he will provide all that we need for life and godliness. He knows how to save and to take care of his people and how to make them fruitful. But he also says to us, like we saw in John 15, he says, abide in my words. Do what I tell you. Our Lord and Savior calls us to obedience. And that is the only way for us to be happy in Jesus. We need to do what he tells us. So trust and obey your Savior and his word. You will be blessed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for the grace of your Holy Spirit so that we might be always trusting and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when this life is very hard and we're going through great and difficult trials, we pray that you would please do all your holy will in our lives. We praise you, Lord, and we love you. We thank you for hearing our prayers. Your blessing be upon your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.